please do take a seat this morning and uh, please do grab uh, a Bible. Grab your Bible again or find it on your phone again. Put a hand up if actually you like a Bible now this morning. And let me also just say, if you don't have a Bible at home or you don't have a Bible at home which is easy for you to read, then do take one of these church Bibles with you. We think it's a good balance between uh, uh, translation from the original language the Bible was written in, but also it's reasonably readable uh, in modern day English. So do take one of these home as our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be, page 1176. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 21, page 1176, the, the first third or so of that right-hand column. Uh, those of you who have been with us over the last few weeks will know that we've been working through a series uh, across almost all our congregations as a church, uh, looking at what our values are. Each year after Easter, Jesus, our, our living, risen Lord, and in the weeks after Easter, we remind ourselves of who he has called us to be, who we aspire to be. And so we started three or so weeks ago with Kevin looking at our value of loving people. We aspire to be the kind of church, the kind of individuals where everybody is welcomed, where we can embrace everyone irrespective of what may necessarily be true about them, even when we can't endorse everything that might be true about someone, about ourselves. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is embraced. Everybody is felt to be part of the family. Kevin started us off with that a few weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about our second value, being courageous in mission, gutsy and risk-taking, ready to fail and to try new things in our own personal life and as a church, corporately, because we just think the news about Jesus is so good. I mean, it's so, so good. Just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, perhaps you've never heard it before, the good news of Jesus very simply is this, is God made it, we broke it, Jesus will fix it. God made it, we broke it, Jesus will fix it. Make a choice this morning to allow Jesus to fix it, just trust him, step into that relationship, be a marvellous thing to do, step back into that relationship perhaps, if you've been adrift for a while this morning. So we looked two weeks ago at that courageous admission, take that good news out, take risks to do it. Last week, Duncan here taught us uh, about being uh, Bible-saturated. I wasn't here, I was over at Pub Church, but Duncan, I heard rumours that you had sponges full of water. I wanted to know whether you threw it at anybody, and if you did, who you threw it at, but no one would, t- no one would tell me that. But what it means to be saturated, so full of the Bible, that we're, we have gravitas and weight, and I believe the illustration went along the lines, if I hurled a dry sponge at you, you wouldn't be too worried about it. The impact would be minimal. If I hurled a soaking, sopping, wet sponge at you, It has a much bigger impact, doesn't it? And well, so it is. When we are full of God's word, the Bible, the impact of our lives is infinitely better. Um, Just like a cold, wet sponge on a very hot, warm day is exactly what people want over their heads. Or at least I would. We might not all be in that kind of thing. This week, I'm going to look at our fourth and our final uh, value, being spirit-dependent. Of being the kind of place where we are eager for God to be at work in our lives by his spirit. And that we do believe that God is a good father. He's our father. And he is too loving to wish us harm. Too wise to have made a mistake. And then when the Bible talks about God's Holy Spirit at work in us, though there could be all sorts of confusions that we might explore this morning, all sorts of reasons to be hesitant, actually he is a good father. And there is a wonderful thing to explore and look at. And so actually our passage today, the the key little phrase is there in sentence 18. If you look at it with me, that would be tremendous. Of course, I'll always read stuff, but it's best to see it yourself. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do you see that? Sentence 18. In fact, uh, we encourage our boys, this is a total aside, we encourage our our young boys to learn Bible verses. Uh, It's quite a good thing to do. And I don't quite know how it happened, but Isaac, our eldest at nine years old, he learned sentence 18. I don't particularly know why why we've chosen sentence 18, but he learned it off by heart. And then he was at school, and they were doing poetry, and the teacher asked if anyone could recite anything they'd learned by heart. And so Isaac stood up and said, this is from the Bible, Ephesians 5.18, in front of 30-odd nine-year-olds, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I don't know what that is. Anyway, anyway, but the key sentence here is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. But what surprises me is the couple of sentences that go before that, which we might have often missed, really. Because look at the language that comes just before that, that command to be filled with the Spirit. Look at sentence 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Or sentence, sent, sentence 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is when it comes to the Holy Spirit. That language of, do, uh, of be very careful, of do not be unwise, do not be foolish, suggests that even 2,000 years ago, there was a way to relate to God's Spirit, or a way to understand God's Spirit, which was careless and foolish. Otherwise you wouldn't need that instruction, would you? To say actually there is a great, powerful, wonderful, awesome, beautiful thing here that God has, his Holy Spirit, but just be careful now. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Act carefully. And I think that's still very relevant today actually, isn't it? So I don't know what your experiences be, but I think there are two foolish tendencies that I want to tentatively, but quite clearly, because otherwise I wouldn't do my job well, tentatively but clearly try and help us to understand and avoid as a people. The first foolish tendency, I think, is towards silliness when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And the second foolish tendency, tendency is towards suspiciousness or standoffishness, if that's a word, towards the Holy Spirit. In terms of silliness, it's kind of an excessive exuberance around the Holy Spirit. I think here it's the idea that we behave in a drunken-like fashion and say that is the Holy Spirit's good work in us. I think that's why sentence 18 says there, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Actually, that word translated debauchery doesn't necessarily have sexual undertones. It just means starved, uninhibited, chaotic, uh, embarrassing behaviour that you regret the next day. And I think he's saying that because there is a tendency in us, a foolish tendency, to silliness in regards to the Holy Spirit, to being excessively exuberant and saying this is the Holy Spirit's work in us. Uh, Talking to Kevin, one of the other ministers of the church, in the week around this passage, we study the preaching passage every Wednesday together as ministers, he very wisely said, well, when you're drunk, you're not in control of yourself. And so actually when the Holy Spirit comes, you never fully lose control. Not fully. You are always in control. God is too, this was Kevin's phrase, God is too much of a gentleman to force himself on us. And actually I think that is wisdom there. My first experience I think of this silliness, and some of us may have had similar experiences, and found them very profound. And God in his grace, I don't want to undo that good work that he did in you in that moment, in his grace. But it doesn't mean we want to repeat it. For me, for example, it was in the first actually 12 months or so of choosing to follow Jesus, 
And I went to a fantastic big Christian conference. It was an amazing experience for me, walking into this big top with 5,000 people singing In Christ Alone, that fantastic modern hymn, was a a hugely powerful experience for me. I cannot criticise the five days I had away, hugely significant. But one evening, there was an evening session, maybe five or six hundred people, I guess, that kind of size, and an evening session, and the key speaker, the person leading, was was standing at the front, and the evening progressed to the point where this actually reasonably well-known Christian figure was inviting people to come up onto the stage and, and speak into the microphone the animal noises that God had given them by his spirit. And I remember standing there, slightly on the periphery, I mean, I think probably 500 people of the 550 were standing there in a similar kind of way, slightly bemused and confused and not really saw what was going on as these grown adults would come to the front and start literally barring like sheep or barking like dogs down the microphone. See, I think it's silliness. I think it's the kind of behaviour you'll be embarrassed about the next day, wouldn't you? And I, I, I think that's be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't embarrass God and embarrass yourself. That's not how it works. At the same time, many of us, and I would also talk of experiences of, of, of feeling overwhelmed by God's spirit. I'm not talking about, about that. In those moments where you allow that overwhelmingness to come, but you know that actually you could, you could step in and stop it. You know, God hasn't... He could, but he's too much of a gentleman to totally take control like that. So at one end, we've got this foolish tendency that we want to avoid of being silly, of being excessively exuberant. But at the other side, I think, why we need to be careful and aware and, and wise is because there's also the, the other end of the spectrum of being overly suspicious or overly standoffish of the work of the Spirit, excessively reserved. I want nothing to do with that. Now that may be a reaction against some of these more extreme things over here. It may be because you're British. Um, it may be, that was a joke, but no one got it. It may be because you're British. Yeah. There, there we go. Um, it may be because of personality types, of, of who you are. It may be because of an experience you've had, not in a religious sense, but where you have learned that you must always be the master and captain of your own ship and you not in one moment can let the defences down. There could be any number of very legitimate reasons why you are standoffish and suspicious of the work of the Spirit. And so if that's you, I just want to remind you again that God is our Father, a good Father. And he loves us too much to wish us harm, and he's too wise to have made a mistake. And therefore, if he says, be filled with the Spirit, we can be certain that's okay. Jesus himself says, which one of you earthly fathers, if your child asks for a Friday for breakfast, you'd serve them up a live scorpion? Well, if even earthly fathers know what it is to be kind and good to their children, how much more a heavenly father? That's Jesus' point. And so it is with the great gift of the Spirit. So for some of us, we need to realise we've been a bit standoffish. And we need to step towards it. Uh, the great John Stott, who's one of my kind of hero mentors, he's been dead many years now, he used to minister a church in the centre of London, right by the BBC headquarters, where it was there in Langham Place. And he used to talk about BBC Christianity, by what he meant, biblically balanced Christianity. Not one or the other, but God's fulcrum. Biblically balanced Christianity. That's what we're looking for this morning, isn't it? What I'd like to do, therefore, is to, out of this passage, uh, give us three guidelines that are here and then sketch in some of the features of a spirit-filled community and then land very briefly on the question of how are we spirit-filled? How can we become 
spirit-filled. Let me give you the guidelines. There's just a cluster of them. First of all, and they all come out really of sentence 18 still. We're going to expand out in a moment, but we're still there in sentence 18. First of all, is actually what be filled with the spirit really means. Because it reads there in English like a one-off event, doesn't it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like being saying, get, get, get married, have a wedding. It happens once. It's just once. And it's an anchor point in your life, but it only happens once. But actually, that's not how it translates. Not like that at all. The way it translates is, continue to be filled. Keep being filled. It's in what's called the continuous present tense. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off event. He's literally saying, keep on being filled up with the Spirit. Today, you need to be filled with the Spirit. This week, you need to be filled with the Spirit. So instead of being like that one-off event that only happens once, uh, like getting married or like dying, that only happens once and then it's done, it's more like when you run a marathon. We've got some marathon runners in the room. I know Dee here's got a, mar- a double marathon over a weekend in June 22nd. She's amazing and epic and makes the rest of us feel very weedy and weak. Um, but anyone who's embarked on a marathon knows what you can't do is just before the start gun goes, glug down three pints of Lucozade and think that that one moment's going to fill you up enough to get through 26 miles. It's not. It's going to cause all sorts of other effects on your body, I can tell you that. But it won't enable you to, to run the marathon. What you need to do when you're running a long race is constantly be sipping, constantly be drinking. Carry with you some kind of water bottle. Every time there's a water station, a drink station, you stop and you grab a cupful and, and swig it down. You've got to keep on being filled if you are to get through the whole race. That's the language here of the Spirit. So the corrective here is that we are being filled with the Spirit. We are not talking about a one-off event. We're not to rely on some experience, good and legitimate. I'm not saying it's not good. But we're not to rely on some past experience that we had last year or last decade or when we were baptised where God felt very real to us and said, well, I've now been filled by the Spirit. I can tick that off my to-do list. Filled by the Spirit. Visit the Vatican. I've done it all now, yeah? No, 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 no. You've got to... Got to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's also a corrective for those of us who, who can't look back on a big experience and are anxiously hoping for some future encounter. Actually, relax. It's okay. Being filled by the Spirit is not about that mega event that you have or haven't had. It's about the ongoing, keep on being filled by the Spirit in your life. I say, well, look, before we finish, we'll answer the question of how we do that, how we do that. Second of this cluster of guidelines is this is written to ordinary Christians, isn't it? It says, be filled with the Spirit, there in sentence 18, right in the middle of a part of the Bible that is just written to everybody, everybody. It's not only written to those charismatic churches or those Pentecostal churches. One of the great things about Beacon Church, by the way, as you get to know people, is is that we come from the most eclectic set of backgrounds you could ever imagine when it comes to church going. And about a third of us, it transpires, Beacon Church is their first ever church. So you'll get every experience of churchmanship and none across us. It's marvellous. It's wonderful. But this letter is not written just to one tribe or brand or denomination of church. Well, it's them down there. They've got the chandeliers down the road. We're not going to be swinging off anything here. Yeah. It's written to every Christian. All Christians. It's not just to the leaders or the extroverts. It's not just to those who are in a particular category or have been Christians for a particular length of time. It's for 
Everybody. It's just expected. To be a Christian is to be filled with God's spirit. And the third of this cluster, the third and final cluster of these guide, guidelines, is if you read this whole little passage, just look at it there in your lap if you've got it there, notice how everything is about community, everything is about relationship, everything is about real life. Sentence 15, be careful how you live. Do you see that there? Um, sentence 19, speaking to one another. Um, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. The always giving is in the plural. You are always giving, always giving. Sentence 21, submitting to one another. Do you see there's nothing solo about this? This experience of being filled by the Spirit is not a just for me in my closed room or lost totally, totally in worship, lost, which is a great place to be. I'm all about that, but oblivious to anyone else around us. Being filled with the Spirit is worked out in community, in relationship. It's actually pointed to other people. So just pause for a moment in your own minds. Just pause for a moment and, and have a think. I want you to think about a couple of things. I'm just going to give you a, a little mental exercise. Firstly, you remember the scale I talked about? Where here you've got the silliness and here you've got the standoffishness. Just mentally in your own head, where are you on that scale? Where are you on that scale? If we make silliness a 10 and standoffishness a 1, what, what number would you give yourself? I'm not going to ask you to talk to anyone about it, don't worry, but just in your own, are you a 2? Are you an 8? And have you moved? Like, if I'd asked you this question five years ago, where might you have been compared to now? And is that movement good? Like, you know... Is it in the right direction to that biblically balanced Christianity that we're thinking about? Have you done that exercise? Now, exercise number two is about the cluster of guidelines. Which one is most important for you? Which is new to you or you need the reminder of? That being filled by the Spirit is not the one-off event, but the continuing, ongoing journey of life. It's the constant sipping that gets us through the marathon. Is that what you need to remind yourself of? And free yourself from the anxiety that you haven't had the big event. You haven't downed the three pints of Lucasade. That's never happened to you. That's okay. Or is it something about the community aspect of being filled by the Spirit? You've always reserved it for some private prayer time you have, but actually it's something that's about how you interact with other people. Which are some of the most important things that you need to hear and understand. Is it the realisation that you are expected to be filled with the Spirit? Because you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Mm. You're not an elite class or that particular group, or it's you, whoever you are. Okay, let's have a look now at some of the features. We'll move quite quickly through some of these features, but in essence, how the passage works is in sentence 15 to 17, you have how we approach things. Be careful, be wise. In sentence 18, we have the instruction, don't get drunk on wine, but actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in sentence 19 onwards is what does being filled by the Spirit look like? What are the features of this Spirit-filled community? Let's just pick out a few of them and see where we go. First of all, in sentence 19, it's how we sing. Do you see that? There's stuff about singing. It says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to God. So being spirit-filled affects how we sing. That when we sing as a community, who do we sing to? Look at sentence 19. Who are we singing to? 
No. Each other. Now, of course, we sing to God. But here, do you see that? Here, do you see that in the Bible? To each other. That speak, and I like the fact it says speaking, even though it's talking about singing. Because it means if you can't sing very well, you're still included. So I, I, I speak and shout. She's all right. Don't, Ada, don't worry. I'm, I'm well used to little ones. <laughs> um, I like the fact that it says speaking because it assumes that even if you're not a singer, you can't sing nicely, you're included in this singing enterprise. I speak or shout to a tune. Johnny sings, I speak. Do you see the difference here? So it's including all of us here, but when we are singing, who are we singing to? Each other. So a spirit-filled person understands that when they are singing, they are serving other people, reminding them of the truth of Jesus. That's what we do when we sing. We do praise God. Let me see. We are praising God. But secondly, it's about helping each other. Now, there are wonderful moments where we do feel lost in worship and praise. Some of us will talk about that, won't we? we and that's quite an individual experience. But the normative, the normative is I don't sing for my own benefit. I sing for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, of those around me, so they hear Jesus, hear about Jesus in the songs we sing. Uh, the second bit about singing, though, the second half of sentence 19, it says sing and make music. Now I think it is talking to the professionals. Does that make sense? Now I think it's not talking to all of us who speak in tune, but it's now talking to those of us who can sing beautifully and play instruments well. So this morning we've had like Sarah and Johnny and Riri and Kate and Paul's on the, the box drum thing, wasn't he? It's particularly talking to those guys. When they are spirit-filled, where does that worship come from? Have a look at the Bible. Where does it come from? What is the source of their playing and their music? Was it all those piano lessons their mum and dad forced them to have? Is that where the source is? No. Is it their natural skill and competency? Is that the source? No. The source is from their heart. Do you see that? Now, of course, we celebrate excellence. Of course, we want to help people play as best they can and sing as beautifully as they can. Of course, we like the best meaning of the word professionalism. But there is a huge difference between a Saturday night gig and a Sunday morning worship service. A world of difference. On Saturday night, the same musicians, using the same physical skills and vocal skills, are not singing from their heart. They're singing from their competence. And that's a great and a beautiful thing. But when you come to worship Jesus, spirit-filled worship leaders and musicians, it comes from their hearts. And heart here doesn't mean the bed of our emotions, like we don't want Johnny bawling his eyes out or something like that. I wouldn't know what. I might have to hug him. I mean, I don't know what that would be. Right? But what, what, what it means is the very centre of who you are, like the heart of who you are, the, the, the very essence of who you are, that they are spirit-filled as they are praising Jesus with all that they are. Like the words to that song we just sung, wasn't it? Let my deeds outrun my words. That's how it's phrased, something like that, isn't it? Let my life outlive my songs. Yeah, it, that's what we want. That's what spirit-filled means. It comes from a heart, a, a life. What's the third thing here, the feature of someone who's spirit-filled? Look at sentence 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Do you see the always and the everything? Always giving thanks to God our Father in everything. Not just give thanks when things are good. Not just to give thanks when I'm with other Christians and they'd expect it. Not just give thanks when the money in the bank's well. 
but always, in everything, whatever life is like at the moment, give thanks. One of the best uh, bits of advice I've ever given, give yourselves a brain break for a moment and, 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 and pull into a lay-by. One of the best bits of advice I was ever given was given to me by Martin, who was the assistant minister, like curate at the church where I was, became a Christian, St. Thomas's uh, Church in Lancaster, where I was studying up in the Lake District, on the edge of the Lake District there. And he used to be a trucker. In fact, he had tattoos all over his body and he, he used to drive long-distance trucks for about 30 years. And then he became a church minister. And on the, on the day I was being baptised, he gave me a whole bunch of advice. The only bit I remember, actually he gave me two bits of advice I remember. Number one, he says, marry Hannah, quickly. That's what he, that, was, that was one bit of advice I remember. But number two was he says, at the end of your day, when all your other talking is done, you've, you've talked to the kids, you've talked to Hannah, you've, you've, you've finished talking, and you are moments from sleep, with your head on the pillow, the last conversation you have, is telling God the ten things you are thankful for from the day. It's a great piece of advice. It, and there's not been that many nights, there of course has been, there's not been that many nights when I haven't done that. However difficult it would be. I mean, I'll be honest, last night I found it difficult because we've had sickness through the house, so we've had children and Hannah in bed and all the rest of it since about Wednesday, different ones, passing it around. And then we had a great night on Friday night at the House of Bread Charity Ball. That was fantastic. But that was one or two o'clock before I got into bed. That's all right. And then I took the boys for a daddy date down south for my sister's birthday yesterday. And we finished at about nine o'clock in the evening. I'd left at 6.30 with the boys in the morning. Nine o'clock in the evening. We're still three hours from home. The boys are in their pyjamas. I'm settling into the driving seat thinking I'm going to have a nice time listening to the radio. They're going to sleep in the bag. I get 100 yards down the road and I'm like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's pulling to the left. And I get out. And not just one, because you can handle one, but two punches. Two tyres gone on the left side. One, one you can fix in 15 minutes, can't you? Two is a pain. Two hours later, the AA get there and sort us all out. We get home about three o'clock. So last night, as I last thing at three o'clock this morning, finding ten things it shouldn't have been. I mean, how big is that on a scale of things? It's nothing, isn't it? But that's how distorted the human heart, isn't it? Is I'm like, I'm not going to say thanks to God for ten things. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, by the time I got to ten, I'm going to say, Jesus, you are so good to me. Jesus, you are just so uh, so amazing. It's a good little practice. It's just a good little practice. The fourth thing and final thing, notice, of what a spirit-filled person, a feature of a spirit-filled person is, is there in sentence 21, which then introduces a long list of stuff. Do you see it? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Serve one another. Don't be the master in any relationship, because that's Jesus' role. Be the servant. Spirit-filled people, being filled by the Spirit, a feature of that is you serve everywhere. And if you look at this passage, do you see where it starts? First relationship, the hardest one not to try and be the master of, marriage. Yeah? Do you see that? In your marriage, serve. Serve your wife. Serve your husband. Don't try and master her. It's Jesus' God to be her master. Jesus' job to be her master. Jesus' job to be his master. Your job is to be her servant and serve her and serve her and serve him. Then it goes to parenting. Second hardest place to serve. What? I'm not the master of my children? No. Jesus is their master. You are there to serve. 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 Then it moves to the workplace. Yeah. It's very practical, isn't it? Being spirit-filled here is not actually about some church-based experience. It's about living out there in life. 
So think about that for a moment, especially as we're doing this little corrective that you may have experienced some silliness or you may have experienced some standoffishness, how we're trying to find a biblically balanced centre of where we need to be. Actually, there's some great correctives here, isn't there? The feature of someone filled by God's Spirit is they sing, when they sing, they sing to serve others. They sing to other people so they hear about Jesus. They sing from the heart if they're skilled to lead. It comes from here. That actually it's about relationships, a feature of being spirit-filled. Is there is no relationship in your life where you go in and say, I'm the master. No. You recognise Jesus is the master in every inch of life and you enter every relationship to serve, to serve, to serve. Now I want to land in the last couple of minutes by answering the question, of, well, how do we become spirit-filled then? What does it look like to become spirit-filled? And I think the answer lies in the very features. I think the reason why the Bible majors on what it looks like to be spirit-filled is because there is a self-fulfilling prophecy thing going on here. That as you live in this way, the Spirit fills you. To live in this way, so the Spirit fills you. To live in this way, so the Spirit fills you. To live in this way. As you choose to sing for other people's benefit, which is a feature of being Spirit-filled, the Spirit fills you to sing for other people's benefit. As you walk into every relationship and say, Jesus is the master here and I am the servant, the Spirit fills you to be able to say, Jesus is the master here and I am the servant. It's a little bit like this chap, who's another one of my little heroes. He's called Dean Carzini. He's run, he's known as the ultra-marathon man. He's run, he runs a marathon before breakfast five times a week. That's his training. So he leaves at four o'clock in the morning, runs a three-and-a-half-hour marathon, 26-odd miles, and then gives his kid breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And, that's, that's, and he has a full-time job and all this kind of stuff alongside this. And he's very, very famous for just being able to run extraordinary distances. He's in his late 50s now, and he's just embarked a couple of days ago on a 350-mile run without stopping, without sleeping. He's going to run 350 miles. It's going to take him the best part of a week without sleeping and without, without stopping. Um, and it's likely that he'll do it. Amazing, isn't it? He was asked in an interview, I, I, I measure... Uh, inspiration Pete. I'll give it to you later and you can, you can take it home and read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was asked in an interview the question, um, how do you keep running ultramarathons? And his answer was, I just keep running. How are you filled by God's spirit? I just keep serving. I just keep singing. I just keep doing the thing that is spirit filled. And the spirit fills me to keep doing the thing that is spirit filled. I think it's relatively uncomplicated. I think it's enormously helpful if people will pray for you to be spirit filled. I highly recommend that. I think it's extraordinarily helpful to put yourselves in environments like church or like our Friday night worship, the stand, which happens quite regularly. Environments where you can exclusively focus on God and praise him. I think all those things are very helpful for opening your heart to be spirit filled. But the bottom line is if you walk out of those events and do not serve other people, and do not give thanks whatever circumstances you're in, and do not choose to sing in service of others, then the Holy Spirit is not going to fill you. How do you run ultramarathons? I just keep running. How am I becoming, how do I become spirit-filled? I just keep living in a spirit-filled way. Does that make sense? I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you very much to invite 
Holy Spirit into your life. I'm going to invite you to ask him to correct you from silliness or move you from suspiciousness into where he wants you. And I'm going to be asking you, I'm asking you now, if you would trust me to just lend me an open heart as I pray. Just, just trust me. Whatever your experience is, just trust that not only is God your father who loves you too much to wish you harm, I am your friend and pastor who also only wants the best for you. So as I just pray, would you trust both God and me to pray for you to be filled by the Spirit? And then Johnny's going to lead us in a last song.